will tell thee all that is in thine heart. All that is in thine heart. This expression occurs in the first conversation that takes place between Samuel and Saul. And whenever Samuel talks to Saul, he mentions a number of things. I suppose we can reduce them to four. He says, first of all, there in verse 19, Ye shall eat with me today, and tomorrow let thee go. So he talks to him about food, and I'm sure he's interested in food, because he's had a long journey. And then he says, secondly, And I'll tell thee all that is in thine heart. Meaning tomorrow, before he lets him go, he's going to tell all that is in Saul's heart. And then thirdly, he tells him about the lost donkeys. As for thine asses that were lost three days ago, set not thy mind on them, they're found. And then last of all, he states these questions into Saul's ear. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on thee and on all thy father's house? So he talks about food. He talks about what's in Saul's heart. He's going to reveal Saul's heart. And he talks about the lost donkeys. And he talks about the desire of the nation. Is it not for you, Saul? Saul only focuses on the second and the fourth. Food's not a big thing in his mind. He doesn't even mention the lost donkeys. I don't think they're a big thing in his mind either. But what's going on in his heart? That gets his attention. In thine heart. And then this question, which is connected with what's in his heart. There's a desire in his heart, but there's also a desire in the people. You're the desire of the people. It's not you and your father's house. And that gets his ears up. And he responds to those questions. In verse 21, I'm not I a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin, wherefore thou speakest to me so. The servant doesn't know what's being talked about here, but Saul and Samuel do. They're on the same wavelength, because there's something in this young man's heart, and Samuel knows it. And Samuel knows he's to be king, and he's to be in the kingdom, He's talking in kind of code here. He doesn't have to explain what's going on. He knows about the kingdom. Samuel knows that he understands. And there's really just false humility this here. You know, Benjamin's not a big, big tribe. Don't, don't be taunting me. Are you taunting me about this? About this kingship, this new role that the people are looking? The desire of Israel for a new king. Are you taunting me about that? So they know what they're talking about. There's something going on in Saul's heart and that's what we want to try to get down to tonight and get into. In thine heart, that's what we're considering. I'll tell thee all that's in thine heart. That may be frightened this man. I mean, if there was such a preacher who could tell you all was in your heart, that would be scary business, wouldn't it? You mightn't be able to look him in the face. Such a preacher, if he could tell all that's in your heart. So that's quite a scary comment to make. All that's in thine heart, and the heart's deep as well. In fact, it's an unfathomable reservoir, a dark, bottomless well, like space, vast and unbounded. And here's Samuel saying, I'm going to tell thee all that's in thine heart. And if we did know all that was in our heart, would it not really overwhelm us? 
I mean, God keeps so much from us. That's deep in there, I think. Because it would drive us to despair. I mean, if all in your heart was on the screen, on the wall here, and everybody saw it, would we not have to run out? Would it not become unbearable? So if God showed us all this in our hearts, we'd have to say to him very soon, Lord, stop, have mercy. Show me no more, but give me a new heart. What did the Lord Jesus say? Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. He mentioned a whole lot of other things, but that was the first thing he mentioned. These evil thoughts, just like a sewer, constantly flowing out, out of the heart. That's what's in the heart. The first mention of heart in the Bible is interesting. God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Only evil continually, all day long, minute by minute. God looked down, that's what he saw in the human heart, just continual evil thinking. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. There are two hearts in that text. The heart which is continually evil of all men, and the Lord's heart which is grieved at the hearts of men. And yet we do need to know our hearts, don't we? We need to know what is lurking there. We mustn't be totally ignorant of our hearts. Because it humbles us if we know our hearts. It will make us seek God's cleansing and mercy if we know our hearts. And it will cause us to desire a new heart and a better heart if we know our hearts. So it's, it's important to, to have some understanding of our heart and to know what's there, what's holding sway there. And thus the psalmist prayed such prayers as, Search me, O God, and know my heart. And try me and know my thoughts and see if there's a wicked way in me. So he wants to know the heart, his own heart. And God's word searches us. The man of God preaching the word preaches the searching word. I'll search you out. I'll tell you all that's in your heart. Stand still a while. I'll declare the word of God unto you. It's going to be a heart-searching experience. So the prophet is giving to Saul the word and it's a heart searching word and it's a word which is about things that are already in Saul's heart they're in his heart so tonight I want to think about Saul's mysterious heart now I don't plan to unravel it or explain it fully because that's impossible Saul's an enigma his outward life is an enigma we could hardly explain his life, never mind his heart. He's one of the most difficult persons in the Bible to understand, to comprehend and to fathom. Perhaps the most difficult. And to this very day, Bible students are delighted over him. Spiritually speaking, was he a true believer or not? Was he ever good or was he always bad or was he good and turned bad? Was he spiritual? And answers are divided on this matter. Some say he was somewhat spiritual. He commenced spiritual. He was good. But he deteriorated. And apostatized. And then there are others who say he was never good at all. He was never a lover of the Lord. He never knew the Lord. There was never anything spiritual about him. So there's a division over his life. It's inexplicable. 
How do we hope to explore his heart then? With difficulty, I can assure you. Great difficulty. In fact, we'll not be able to explain it at all. As the Bible says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We can't even explain our own heart. Our father, our own heart. So we're not going to be trying to unravel Saul's heart when we can't even do our own. But nevertheless, Saul's heart is mentioned by the prophet. And that has to get our attention. I tell thee all that is in thine heart. There's something in there. There's something lurking in there. There's something deep down in there. And this call is all about what is in Saul's heart. This kingship business is somehow in there, in his heart. And we want to to explore this. So let's think about Saul then, the the internal man, internally, his heart. Why did God choose this man to deliver Israel? It's not about outward appearance. God never picks a man because of outward appearance. He's made that very clear. He makes it clear later on in the book. It's never about outward appearance when God chooses a man. God doesn't look on the outward appearance. It was the same when he came to choose David. It wasn't outward appearance. Eliab was rejected. He had the great outward appearance, but it's not outward appearance. Saul has a great outward appearance. There's no doubt about that. Verse 2. A choice young man and goodly. He's good looking. He's attractive. That's why the women, whenever he met the women, they're going in to meet the seer. These women were chatting, talking, repeating themselves. They were just acting kind of silly, but it was because of his attractiveness, no doubt. Those maidens. There wasn't a goodlier person than he. He's the most attractive person in Israel. From his shoulders and upwards, he's higher than anybody else. He's tall and handsome. And whenever he stood among the people, in chapter 10 it says he was higher than any of the people from his shoulders and upwards. He stood out. But it wasn't because of that that God chose him. There's something in his heart. What did God see in his heart? Remember how whenever Eliab stood forth, God said, don't look on his countenance, don't look on his height. I've refused him. The Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And it must have been the same here with Saul. The Lord has looked on his heart somehow. There's something in there. And Samuel's going to reveal something to him which his heart is drawn to. So what did God see in his heart? Well, I suggest to you It was ambition. Ambition. A desire. A desire and ambition that no one else in Israel had. But it was lurking in him. God knew that. God saw that. That's what is meant by this expression in the book of Samuel. Because it occurs on a number of occasions. In chapter 14, verse 7... We read there about Jonathan and his armor bearer uh, consulting each other about what to do here in regard to the Philistines. And his armor bearer said unto him, that is unto Jonathan, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee 
Behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. So in the confrontation with these Philistines, the bodyguard says, you do what you desire, Jonathan. You do what's in your heart. I'm with you. So it's a, it's a, it's a desire. It's, it's, a, it's a leading, it's a drawing to encounter the Philistines. And the bodyguard is going to go along with that burning heart that's pushing him on. And then you remember David. David wanted to build God a house. He had a desire to build God a house. And what did Nathan say? Do what's in your heart. It's in your heart. This desire to build a house. It's there. I'm going to tell you what's in your heart, Saul. What could that be? Kingship. Ambition. It's there. It's already there. Servant doesn't know about it. Probably his family doesn't know about it. But God knows about it. He has ambition. He has some kind of zeal in there. Now how spiritual it is, I don't know. But he would like to be king. It's in his heart. He has an inclination for the task. He has a desire to judge and deliver Israel. He seems to have what it takes internally. Calling and heart go together. God is calling this man to a task. And he knows he has a desire burning in there already. They go together, calling and desire. I mean, God doesn't call you to something that you don't desire. He gives you the desire. He gives you the drive. He does something internally first. And this is an internal thing. I'm not saying it's spiritual. I'm not saying he's saved. But he has this drive, this ambition within he has some desire, he has some fire about the matter. He has soul for this job. I think Saul has this ambition to be king. And this is what God sees. Now we know Saul has heart for this because whenever he anointed him, he didn't have to explain what he was doing. He knew what was happening to him. And he didn't fight it off. He didn't say, what are you doing? Don't do it with me. I don't want to be king. No, he has a desire. He accepts it. He's very glad to accept it. He's readily receiving it. He knows what it's all about. Saul didn't even have to preach to him the manner of the kingdom. He just poured the oil upon him. You'll be the Lord's captain. And Saul seems to know what it's all about. That's what's in his heart, you see. It has been known Israel is looking a king. The post has been advertised. It's maybe every young man's dream. But with Saul, it's more than a dream. There's something in there driving it. It's more than just he would like it. Now his first comments do not look like zeal. You remember we saw when he was first talking there? Whenever a person first talks, it really reveals their heart. He says to his servant in verse 5, 
Saul said to his servant that was with him, Come, let us return. Lest my father leave caring for the asses and take thought for us. He wants to give up on the donkey business. That's a lack of zeal, isn't it? Let's go home. My father's going to be more worried about us than the donkeys. Let's, let's just go home. He's no zeal for looking donkeys, really. That's not what's in his heart, looking donkeys. He gives up easy on that. But I tell you this, he never gave up easy on the king business. He never gave up on that. Even whenever God told him you're not to be king anymore, he wouldn't give it up. It was in his heart. The ambition. No matter about what God says, the ambition became the driving force. And that can happen to a good man. The ambition can become the driving force and not the glory of God. So he has, hasn't got zeal for donkeys. He's ready to return, but he never returns from the kingship. You see, Saul might not know Samuel, but he knows and he cares about the threats to Israel. He knows the Philistine menace grows. He knows there are garrisons all about the place again. It's history now. It's more than 30 years ago that victory over the Philistines. The menace is coming back again. There are garrisons here and there and yonder. He's been going through the country. He's seen the Philistine garrisons. There's a zeal in his heart. He sees the bondage. He has the spirit of a deliverer. And God says, I'm going to make him captain over my people Israel. He's going to save my people out of the hand of the Philistines because I've looked upon my people and their cry has come unto me. And the man that he finds is Saul because Saul has the drive. Saul has the heart. And when Nahash invades and tries, makes a covenant that he cut out their eyes, Saul is up there like a rocket. Because he has a drive. So he has some kind of zeal here. Something within him. And God sees this. In thine heart. Now the next king. It's different. Very different. David. The next king. God doesn't seek a man for something in his heart. God seeks a man according to his own heart. The man's heart doesn't come into it the next time. The next time it's God's heart comes into it with David. But with Saul, it's Saul's heart. Because Israel's looking a man after their heart. They're designing a certain kind of man. And God is going to give them that, the man that they desire. And this is the kind of man they would desire. This is the kind of man they would like. That they want. So this is why, this is why Saul is, is chosen. The next king will be all about God's heart. But the people's desire appeals to Saul. You're the desire of all the people. Their desires toward you. Their desires toward your father's house. Oh, don't taunt me. But that's really what he wants. That's really what he desires. To know that. That's wonderful news for him. God's word sees us. God's word exposes us. God's word tells us what is in us. And it can convict us. And does. 
The heart is referred to again in verse 10, in chapter 10, sorry, verse 9. And it was so that when he turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart, or turned, literally turned him another, another heart. Now, I think this is saying that what was in his heart, lying deep within, whenever he left Samuel, that came out and possessed him. It utterly controlled him now. He's going to be king. And he became another man. Now, it doesn't mean he became a good man. He didn't. But he became another man. Isn't that what power does? Isn't that what happens when you get your ambition? You become another man. I'm at the top now. I'll rule. I'll be powerful. I'll show. He changed. Another man. As soon as he left Samuel, as soon as he was anointed with the oil, as soon as he heard the business about the kingship, his heart was turned. And what was hidden in that heart and behind that heart now became all forward and revealed and seen and possessed him. This ambition that now has been obtained. And he's not going to let it go. So the inner desire now becomes a complete driving force for him. He who has liked to have been a prince and a judge and a deliverer and now he is he believes Saul's word, you see. He knows it's true. And the ambition is taking over. So God gave Israel her desire. Now he gives the king his desire. He gave Israel her desire for her ruin. He gives Saul his desire for his ruin. They're both good company. Israel and Saul. They're both fleshly designed. They're both ambitious for change without God. And he gives them both of them their desires. And he's going to let them see what their minds is like together for a little while. Until he raises up David. So we mustn't think that becoming another man is necessarily a good man. And we mustn't think that it's regeneration. Regeneration is getting a new heart. Not just another heart. Regeneration is getting a pure heart, a clean heart. There are all kinds of hearts. A man can have different hearts according to their position in society. And they're nearly always bad hearts, however different they are. And then consider how desperate he was to hold on to the crown and the kingdom whenever God took it from him. That ambition became so overpowering, he fought with God. It became so overpowering, he pursued David, who was a threat to that ambition, that kingship. He pursued David. He tried to kill David. He slew the priests. It turned him into a mass murderer, protecting his kingdom, protecting his kingship, protecting his reign. His ambition became the all-driving force by which all his actions were carried out, however wicked they were. It was why he consulted a witch who had previously banned all witches from the country. This ambition was not a spiritual desire. It was overpowering. It was zeal for himself 
and not zeal for God. It was zeal for fame. It was zeal for popularity. It was zeal to be at the top. But it wasn't zeal for God. It was zeal for self. And it leads to doing wrong. Pursuing David and killing priests. But zeal for God leads to righteous living and godliness and not any kind of ambition whereby you trample over the heads of your brethren to get to the top. Godly ambition has humility and it's a desire for the glory of God. So what is in our heart? How ambitious are we? If God opens some door, would ambition ruin and destroy us? They can do so. So beware of ambition. Be content with our lot. Was not David like this? David wasn't ambitious, he just looked after the sheep. He was not told by Samuel whenever Samuel come to anoint him. He didn't have to say to David, I'm going to tell you all that's in your heart. (laughs) There wasn't any such thing in David's heart. It was all new to him, all foreign to him. He did not desire God. What What did God say? I took thee from the sheep cut, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel. That was it. He was just humbly doing his job, minding the sheep. Content to continue there. But God took him out of it. God did it. After God's heart. That's a big difference. So it's nothing to do with David's heart there. It's God's heart. You know this expression in thine heart was last used in the writings of Moses. And used there very often, I tell you. In thine heart. The law of God is always warning us about what is in thine heart. 400 years previous to this. In thine heart, the law of Moses. And now 400 years later. Samuel's taking that word out of the Torah. And saying, I'm going to tell you what's in your heart. In your heart. Congregation, the Lord is concerned with what is in our hearts. We saw deadly ambition taking over and consuming Saul. It might not be that which is lurking in our hearts. But what is? What is in our heart? What is in thine heart? Can the word of God show us tonight? I will show thee what is in thine heart. Can the preacher, as he preaches the word of God... Can the Holy Spirit use the preacher to show you what's in your heart? The word of God searches us. Is there hatred in our heart? Hatred for a brother? What did God say? Leviticus 19 verse 17. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. You'll not hate him in your heart. God looks. He doesn't want to see hatred for a brother in our heart. Is there hatred lurking in there? In thine heart? 
Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbour and not suffer sin upon him. Are you glad to let him to go on the wrong course because you hate him? You're happy to go and see on in ruin? You're not willing to tell him because you hate him and you want him to be destroyed? God forbid that there should be anything in our heart that would wish evil upon anyone. And then, is there a consideration for God in our heart? Deuteronomy 4, verse 39. I'm thinking of this expression, in thine heart, which has been lifted out of the Torah by Samuel. Know therefore this day and consider it in thine heart. That the Lord, he is God in heaven above and upon the earth beneath there is none else. Is that in your heart? Do you consider that every day? Are you weighing that up every day? Do you know that in your heart whenever you go out the door? And accidents happen and this problem comes across in your life. And this befalls you and you're wondering more of what's happening. The devil's in control. No. That's not what the Lord wants you to think in your heart. Consider, are you considering in your heart that the Lord, He is God. He's God in the heavens, but He's also God in the earth. He's the sovereign, and there is none else. There's none else. The devil's not in control. The wicked men aren't in control with all their devices. Why are you cast down in your heart? It's because you're not considering in your heart that God is sovereign. That he's God over all. Is that in your heart? That God is in control? That no matter what befalls you? No matter what they, they do to you? No matter what they take out of your life or steal from you? No matter what they say about you? Have you considered in your heart that God is God? Is that doctrine of the sovereignty of God? Is it is it overriding in your heart? In thine heart? Chapter 6, verse 6 of Deuteronomy. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Is God's word in your heart? Is God's word like a reservoir in your heart? Is your heart a reservoir for the word of God? Thy word have I hid in mine heart, the psalmist said. God says, these words I command thee shall be in thine heart. Again, this is a seat of desire. It's not just stored there in head knowledge. But controlling the desire life is the word controlling your desire life. Is the word at the seat of your heart. Is, is the word in the driver's seat. Driving us. Controlling us. Or is ambition in the controlling seat driving us. Or the desire for popularity driving us? Or the desire for fame? For acceptance? For success? So that I can be known as the, the successful man? Are, are those in the driving seat? Or is it the word of God? And then is there unbelief in our heart? In thine heart? Chapter 7, verse 17, what does it say? If thou shalt say in thine heart, these nations are more than I. How can I dispossess them? You see, God said, go in, take over the nations, take the promised land, possess it. But if you say in your heart, 
These nations are great, they're mighty, they're stronger than me. How can I dispossess them? That's unbelief, isn't it? There's unbelief in your heart. If that's the kind of talk in your heart, unbelief is talking and not the Holy Spirit, not the Word, not faith, but unbelief is, is driving us. And we're attempting nothing because of unbelief. Is that in the driver's seat? In your heart? The sinners are too many and the sinners are too hard. The sinners are too careless. And our hearts are just the seat of unbelief. And then chapter 8 verse 2. Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness. How long has the Lord been leading you? How long have you been a Christian? Forty years. I dare say there are some here that have been Christians more than forty years. All the way which the Lord thy God led thee thee these forty years. There's a hard path. There are many problems. Many difficulties. Sometimes we remember them more than the, the good things. But they were sent to humble thee, to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart. You see, a lot of what happens to us is for us to know what's in our heart. And it's often not a very good discovery. But a lot of our Christian experiences are about in thine heart. The Lord did that, and the Lord sent that, and the Lord allowed that so that you could see what was in your heart. Not in the heart of those that did it. It's not about that. But the Lord allowed it to see, let you see what was in your heart. In my heart. That's why the Lord allowed it. Better lesson, sadly learning. But it's all about in thine heart, you see. And then chapter 8, verse 17. And thou say in thine heart, My power and the might of mine arm have gotten me this wealth. This is... Self-achievement, self-accomplishment. You get success, you get to the top, you get the best position, you get the highest position, and you sit back and you say, in your heart, my power, my gifts, my abilities have gotten me this. God doesn't want you to say that. We're never to have a sense of self-achievement. We're always to say in our heart, unto thee, Lord. Not unto us, but unto thee be the glory. And one thing that shouldn't be in our heart is self-righteousness. Chapter 9, verse 4. Speak not in thine heart. You see, the Lord goes into the human heart. He even goes into the heart of his people. And he listens to their conversations. Do you know we have conversations all the time in our heart? We're always talking in ourselves. We are. And we haven't realized that, but we do. We have big conversations with ourselves. Thinking. Thinking within us. Thoughts. Saying things. And God is in that heart and he hears it all. And he says, don't speak in your heart. After the Lord thy God has cast out from before thee, them, saying, Oh, for my righteousness the Lord have brought me into possess this land. No. That's wrong thinking. Don't be thinking that in your heart. Because I'm a good chap. Because I, I'm a good one of prayer. 
Ah, because I do good things, because I'm better than a lot of other sinners, the Lord has done this. No, we're never to think like that. But we're to think like, for their wickedness, the Lord has, has maybe allowed things. But we must never think that we are, our righteousnesses have been the cause. We can never think like that. So th- these are things in the heart that, you know, just looking through the book of Deuteronomy there, I have highlighted out. Because it's quite clear that Samuel borrows it out of Deuteronomy, the law, the Torah. He's like another Moses, Samuel. Telling us what's in our heart, in thine heart. So it's just a wee meditation, brethren and sisters. and I just hope it's been profitable for you in thine heart. So may the Lord wash our hearts and purify them. And come in to possess them of this Holy Spirit. And renovate our hearts. Make it a true temple for him to dwell within. So let's keep our hearts with all diligence. Because out of it are the issues of life. And Saul is going to find that out. Sadly. He's really going to find this out in an awful way. At the end.